Hello and welcome to another episode of Lessons in Product Management. I'm your host, John Fontenot, and I'm really excited to dive into this whole season of discovery, right? This is one of my most passionate topics of product management. I think this is where huge differentiation comes into play for product teams, product organizations, and tech companies as a whole. So really excited to dive in. But before we do, make sure you subscribe, make sure you follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, go rate us, leave us a review, uh, help get the word out. We're going to be touching on a lot of topics here that the world needs to hear about. There's still too many product companies that are too delivery driven. And the word about discovery needs to get out. We've got a lot of great guests coming on to share some great insights. So help us get the word out, share these episodes. And again, rating and reviewing helps for organic search and all that good stuff. So we're going to dive in today uh, and we're going to hear from Courtney Arnott. Okay, Courtney is a senior product leader at Casted. Before that, she worked for a company called Ironclad, and she's got a pretty extensive product history. Okay, so she has a lot of great insights. She started out her career before getting into product, doing a lot of research work um, very early in her career. And she has a natural curiosity that, that really drives her to want to continually talk to people. And I think that's really key. Curiosity and a desire to learn is huge in product management. And Courtney really embodies that as a product leader. So really excited to dive in. And with that, we'll go over to the episode. Hey, Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, John. We're happy to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. So to kick things off, could you give the listeners a quick introduction about, about yourself and, and what you're doing today at Casted? Yeah, so my name is Courtney Arnott. I'm a senior product manager over at Casted, where we are working on amplified marketing platform and building a category out. Um, We really focus on taking content for content marketers and making it easier easier to digest by your listeners and um, easier to access for the rest of your teams and just making it more of a splash in the market for your marketing team, which is really valuable for our customers. Um, it's been really fun so far. And, you know, I have a really colorful background as well in legal tech and a little bit of um, social tech as well. So it's been a really fun path, but I'm really happy being here in, in the podcasting world. Yeah, actually, I, I came across uh, your former company and uh, legal tech with some uh, recent product acquisition that, that we've done. So I thought that was interesting when I saw it on your LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah, it was a big, big path, a big you know, a couple of years over there and a big acquisition and it was a really, really fun time. So congrats to the team for sure. Very cool. Very cool. So, um, but before we dive into discovery, cause I know you have a lot of thoughts around, around discovery and I'd love to hear those, but we have a lot of um, aspiring product managers that, that listen to the podcast. So I'd love if you just share like a quick uh, overview of, of how did you get in? How did you finally break in? And when, when did you know that you wanted to get into product? Yeah, I will say I didn't know um, that I wanted to get into product until after I was already kind of in product. So I originally went to school for psychology and I knew I wanted to help people. And I knew that I really liked, um, you know, talking about my feelings and being empathetic. And I was very good at that kind of stuff. And I originally thought I was going to go work with children. Um, But when I was 13 years old, I worked at an internship at a company called Cha-Cha. I don't know if you know about it, but it was this really early 2000s texting service where you could text a question to a six digit number and somebody on the other side would send you back the answer. So before iPhones, before smartphones, people could access, you know, what was the lead singer's name of Queen again? It's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, Freddie Mercury. That's right. Thank you, Tasha. So I worked there for a little bit and got a little bit of 
you know, just research, UX research experience as a subject. And I got kind of an interest of that going there. So um, after I got my degree in psychology, I thought, you know, I'd go back into the tech world and see, you know, what I could find there. Cause I, I just kept going back to that after I graduated. Um, and so I got a really lower level project coordinator job, which was like all the way at the bottom. I was basically like a secretary. I was just trying to help out the product team. Um, and I, I started there and I worked my way up. So I went from, um, project coordinator to product coordinator, and then eventually to associate product manager and then to product manager. So that was about two years of, of formal training in product management world and, you know, really working with users and um, doing a little bit of sprint planning as well, because we had a lot of hats we had to wear. We had a, a small team. Um, and then I just eventually grew into a, a product management position as I took on more and more responsibilities. Um, and I've just stayed here ever since. And, you know, I've, I've really learned from a lot of people in my town and from my um, industry. They're very helpful and very willing to work with, you know, younger product people, which is so nice about the Indianapolis tech community. Um, so I really have had a lot of great mentors that have brought me up to where I am today that have, you know, strategy background, go-to-market background, pricing background, UX background. They're all so colorful. So I've really attributed a lot of my skills to the people I've worked with in the past. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people from India, and it seems like a, a growing tech hub, which, um, you know, I I don't know if you'd consider it a traditional tech hub. I don't know if people would consider Utah one either, but um, it's interesting to see all the different tech hubs coming up in the States. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. And India is great. And we were one of the candidates for Salesforce's second campus. We didn't get it, but we were really excited and hoping that we would. <laughs> For sure. So you, you mentioned with your, your psychology background and some of the roles that you've had, I would imagine that stuff like discovery comes natural for you with like a natural empathy and curiosity. But when when did you, and maybe it dates back to the days with, with Cha-Cha, but when did you first start like putting things together around like good product requires great discovery? Yeah. Um, so when I had my first product, well, project coordinator gig that I was talking about, I worked for a company called Odyssey and we had a really great tech team and a really great UX research team that worked together to build out the requirements. And then I was coming in as product to kind of facilitate those things. Right. Um, so I worked with the US, UX research team a ton and I really got my experience there and I got my first taste of product discovery. So I don't remember exactly what we were trying to figure out, um, but it was something about managing content online. And we had all these research subjects where we worked together to you know, outline, what are we trying to figure out? What is the problem we're trying to solve? And now that we see that, how do we translate that to questions to ask customers? So we did a really formal UX research study, which was totally new for me. And it was very fun. Um, and from there, you know, I kept getting stuck on the Tell me what your problem is, and then I'm going to try to figure out a way to solve that for you with everybody else's problems in mind as well. Um, and that's one of my favorite things about discovery is you could hear a little tidbit or something that the customer doesn't think is important. And it sparks something in your brain of like seven other people have said this. There must be a big route here that we need to follow. Um, and just that kind of sleuthing and investigatory skills that you need to have to be a product manager is really fun. Um, and also the empathy part, I think is really fun for me. I love having good relationships with people and I love just working with them and making them feel good and making them happy. Um, so being able to 
give them a sh- almost a shoulder to cry on of like, this is what sucks in my workflow. This is what sucks in my day. And then delivering something of value to them that makes them smile. That just keeps me going all day long. So I think that discovery process of figuring that out is really the first step to, to getting there at the end of the day, which is why I love it so much. That's awesome. So, so you mentioned that you worked with a UX research team. And I think, I think that's great. Not every company has their own like dedicated UX researchers or research team. And so I'm, I'm really curious for those who, well, I guess on both sides, whether they haven't experienced it yet, or maybe they are working with one and trying to figure out how that relationship looks or works. Like, how did that, how did that work for you? Like, how, what was that interface like? And what was that collaboration like? Yeah, well, because of my really um, early days in my career, it was very much me learning from them. But I can tell you today, I have something similar with, I have a whole product design team at Casted who are just brilliant people. And our, our collaboration is really all the way from the top down. We just continually, we're holding hands. It's almost like we are in the same, like, physical team with their design and on product, but so it's kind of nice. Anyway, um, every, like I said, everything is collaborative. So the moment that I have an idea, I'm pulling my head of design over and I'm like, I've just been thinking about this. You know, what do you think about this? And we're just kind of sharing our brain seeds. Weird that I call it like that, but <laughs> sharing those back and forth. And we kind of go from there and I'm outlining, you know, the business reasons, finding the data, getting some customers on the phone to talk to you. And he's really thinking about okay, so we understand the problem. What does this look like from a solution space? What do we have today that we can repurpose? And then what needs to come as a new functionality? So those things are two big areas of a product pitch that we write and coming together, you know, at the end of the day really makes it easier on both of us. So, you know, he can review the business portions that I owned, you know, and give me his feedback. And then I can review the designs and the the UX and the general strategy of the solution with him, give my tweaks, but it's not something that I own. So it's a really nice symphony that we've created together to get these pitches out. Um, We're still working on our process, of course, but it's nice to have somebody who's specifically thinking about the solution so I can think about the business reasons and why we should build it. Totally. Yeah. And I I think we're all still evolving in our processes and and learning as we go. So it's totally okay. Um, I'm curious though. So it sounds like, and I think this is pretty typical, right? Where you have product and UX, uh, and hopefully this is more typical than just product going off and like making up random stuff. But it it sounds like product and UX is a pretty typical combination for discovery. And it sounds like that that's what you have. So I'm curious, at what point do you bring in uh, developers like for input or feedback, feasibility assessment? Like how, how do you integrate them into the mix? Yeah, um, I will say it depends on what we're looking at, but as soon as, well, I guess it depends. As soon as I'm ready to get some feedback on it and I have all of my thoughts out of something that may not be super technical, you know, I get devs in as soon as I can, as soon as it's ready to review. But sometimes I do it even earlier. For example, our um, director of engineering, his name is Josh, and he's super wonderful. Um, he is always there to answer my questions as I'm kind of going through the non the technical side, but the the scope of what we're building. So, you know, if we're thinking about an API update, how does that relate to this integration we're also building? And what are the other things that I'm not thinking about that would balloon our scope at the end of the day and totally screw up my roadmap? So luckily I have somebody like him who's also like design and hand in hand with me through my process. Um, but sometimes I choose not to tag him in if I don't think it's best for that time. So, you know, if he's focusing on other things and this is something that can really wait until we're ready to fully review the entire pitch, 
then I don't tag him in, but he's definitely always been a team player and available whenever I have questions that are a little bit out of my expertise. Yeah. I think that's something to press on a little bit too, right? Because I, I love it. It's, it's the, the typical, like it depends answer and product, but it, it usually does because yeah. it's not like some standard math equation where it's this linear thing that you're, you're going to like do in this, in a straight line. And yeah. um, I, I love how you brought someone in who is like at an even more senior level, right. That could see kind of across the organization and, and look at like the tech, the technical dependencies and maybe the architecture and like, what are the things that I don't know to be asking about or thinking of because I'm not technical. <laughs> so uh, def- definitely find myself doing that too. And I, I love that you called that out and that that works well and helps keep you yeah. from, uh, from pitfalls that you may not see. Oh, you got it. I mean, my favorite saying is that your product is only as diverse as, as the minds behind it. And I need everybody's opinion and feedback and, and input to be able to build something of value. So as soon as I'm ready to get feedback from technical people or not, I think it's it's great and it really adds value to our end product that we're shipping. 100%, 100%. So do you, like? and just curious, I mean, uh, everybody does it different, but do you ever bring in like developers, like a tech lead or engineering manager or anyone like that into some of the research that, that you do, or does that pretty much stay between product and UX? Again, so it depends. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely. So, you know, we, we use um, the, the shape up methodology from Basecamp. I don't know if you're familiar, but so when we are, um, our devs are currently working on a cycle, we're preparing for the next one, like in line. So whenever we kick that off, um, it's always us doing like the first week, the first days or what are we thinking about for the next cycle? What are we trying to get out of that? And that always includes our product leadership team. So um, our chief product officer, myself, so head of product, head of design and head of engineering. So we're all on the same page of what we're thinking about for the next cycle and what the next things that we're going to be betting on really look like. Um, so all of that feedback coming in right at the beginning of when we're really breaking down the problems is helpful. Um, but then as we get further into the solution, you know, if it's something that's a very tech heavy integration, totally pull them in. Or even if it's some, it's a feature that I'm really gearing towards my developer use cases, I need their opinions to tell me, you know, you're more technical than I am. What, what is a better interface for this technical feature that we're going to build? Um, so I think they're super helpful both for understanding how we're going to build it, but also how we're going to gear it towards more technical users in our platform. So tons of value for pulling in developers at all processes of your, your discovery. For sure. I agree. No, and, and I try to follow that shape up methodology too. I saw that not that long ago, they released the, like a physical copy of the book. So I still need to go out and get that, but yeah. anyway, so inter- <laughs> side note, sorry. Um, so, so, I keep like mulling over this concept around discovery and like at what, at what point do we bring in what level of development expertise and like the two, the two big buckets I keep coming back to is like this messy generative world of trying to figure out what we don't know versus we we've kind of hacked away at some of the unknowns. We've tested some, some pretty top line assumptions and now we're getting into this more evaluative state where we have something and we're trying to figure out like, is there utility? Is it desirable, et cetera? Um, d- does that weigh like in your mind, does that weigh into some of the, it depends aspect of like when you bring certain people into the conversation? I think so for sure. You know, 
it, it really just depends on um, who the expert is in the room, right? And getting their feedback and making sure that their voice is heard. So, and especially as you get further down into into a product that you've been working so hard on, there's going to be people that are experts in, in how it works and what's healthy for your code. Um, so even if it's just talking about that in terms of discovery and not really even what are the problems that we're solving, but these are the problems that we're solving. What is the best way technically to solve them? It's definitely yeah. valuable, not only for your, your customers, but for your product team as well. Yeah, no, it's funny you say that. I had a meeting actually earlier today where like that very same thing happened. And it's like getting into the, the technical discovery of things and going talk to the subject matter experts throughout the organization and different groups. And because, uh, you know, I think one of the assumptions that junior product managers make is that like engineers know everything technical. <laughs> and there, there is definitely some areas of expertise that um, that may not sit within your own dev team that you work with where you have to go out and, and find that information out. Yeah. I mean, Google is a developer's best friend, just like everybody else's. So I think. Totally. Can, yeah. <laughs> Forget totally. that sometimes. <laughs> For sure. Cool. So are there any are there any like discovery methods that you found that work like best for you or work like better in certain situations that you're like, Oh man, if this happens, this is kind of my go-to thing. Yeah, it's hard. You know, um, I definitely always fall back to, I have to talk to somebody. I, I, I hate, you know, just sending out a survey or just looking at numbers that already exist. Um, I have to have a conversation. So that's always included in my discovery process. If I have time, you know, sometimes things are quick turned around and you don't have time to actually talk to somebody. Um, but that's definitely my go-to is because, you know, when you talk to somebody about a problem that you're trying to solve for them or something deeper that you might not be exposing in the call specifically, seeing and hearing um, their feedback from a verbal and a physical level is super important. So, you know, if you ask a question, you could see somebody light up and be like, yes, I, this is a problem. Please solve it for me. Or you can see them be a little bit you know, I'm not really sure what you're asking or maybe uncomfortable with what you're saying and not really agreeing. So you can kind of gear it a different direction. But, you know, when you just look at the raw data of, of product, it can be very misleading if you don't actually see where it's coming from or hear it from the horse's mouth, as I like to say. Um, so I really think, you know, having that personal empathetic piece of a product manager is important so you can see that as clear as day as it needs to be, to be able to build a product that solves that problem and everything else that the person may not be telling you is affecting them in their workflow. Totally. I think you, you touched on something very key there, right? Where like we, people talk about being a data-driven product manager. And I think a lot of the assumption goes towards quantitative data. And let, let's look at quantitative data and numbers that tell us what we should be doing. And I love how you said, like, you could look at numbers all day and it could be misleading, but you need to go find out why the numbers are saying what they're saying. And you can't do that unless you talk to customers. Right, exactly. I mean, there was one time where I, I had a really quick turnaround feature I had to build for a customer and I didn't have time to talk to them on the phone. And my, my CS agent came to me and said, this is exactly what they said. This is exactly what they want. And here's the data to support it. And I said, great. And I built it and I shipped it. And the day it shipped, they came back and they were like, this is a big piece that you guys missed and we can't use it. And I was like, well, if I would have talked to you on the phone, I would <laughs> clearly indicate that and we would have solved this. Anyway, so it was like six weeks instead of two weeks that we had to build this thing. And it was a nightmare. So I learned my lesson the hard way there of like, 
even though somebody says this is exactly what they want, I don't care. I want to hear it from them myself. I want to ask some questions and I want to show them something just to verify that I'm following exactly what they're thinking because, you know, perspective is so vague from people and it's just so broad and it's such a big spectrum that somebody could be talking about something and you could totally be following, but in an entirely different direction. So making sure that you're overly communicating and verifying where they're going and what they're thinking is, is so important as well. 100%. You're pulling at my heartstrings right now because I'm, I'm actively writing a book about why why great product managers never assume and there's like certain things that we go over. And one of the stories I share from my experience where um, I had learned my lessons the hard way too. <laughs> and I, I had a customer come and, and was saying that they wanted to be able to, um, you know, edit some field, right, in their software versus like waiting for it to get pushed over into this um this other product that we integrated into and like they were asking me something that didn't make any sense, but to them it made sense. And so like digging into the problem, it's like, Oh, the, the problem space is over here yeah. and, and you're trying to tell me the solution space is over here, but if we fix this, then it fixes everything else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love doing that too, because a lot of the times when you dig into that really deeply with them, you can make some connections in your head of like, this kind of relates to this other problem that we've been talking about. I wonder if there's like a two birds, one stone solution that we could ship that would solve many problems and not just one-to-one and, and save our dev team time. Totally, totally. And, and like to your point, right, that's why it's so key to focus on on the problems and not like the solutions that they're bringing to us because the underlying problem is going to help us look across that opportunity space and figure out like what the best approach is. 100%. So, so true. And I can't tell you how many times I've frustrated my customer success agents because <laughs> they come to me and say, this customer wants this feature. And I'm like, well, what are they doing? And they're like, they want this. What do you mean? They, they're using our app. They want this. I'm like, okay, I need you to explain it to me. Let's back up 10 steps. What do they do in the platform? Why are they doing it that way? What do they need this for? And they're like, Courtney, <laughs> Eventually we get there and, you know, it's very helpful, but it's, it's been, I think I've been annoying at some points, just making no, no, it, all these questions. <laughs> it's like, it's like educating your organization, right? Um, one of the chapters of the book is going to be called like, never assume people, or no, what, what, what people assume about us and what we can do about it. Right. And I think some, some organizations think that product managers are order takers. We tell yeah. you what to build because the customer said it and we expect you to go do it. And it's like, to, in your example, it's like, okay. What other customers look like them? Well, if we segmented our customer groups up, what percentage do they represent? How, like, what, what's the opportunity cost of what else I could be doing for a broader percentage of our market? Like, we have to look at all those variables to make decisions, and we can't just like one off, onesie, twosie, just do random stuff. It's so true. And I'd always come back, and you know, I, I the very basic prioritization scale that I made was um, impact versus effort. So, is it going to impact? some most or all customers and is it going to take small medium or large effort obviously right. the large impact with the small efforts were the key ones that we were trying to get to so i would try to get my my cs agents with me like if we can get this figured out i can get this shipped for you faster but if we don't score it right it doesn't fit so that was always really helpful to kind of agree on this you know process going forward of how we would prioritize stuff and then they would kind of help me get that information and prioritize it and get, Oh, this customer would also use that. But so it ended up working out really nicely. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I think that's a great like product life hack, right? Where, where yeah. if, if you, if you share your decision-making framework throughout the organization, 
then it trains them to know what they need to look for to help you make better decisions. Cause they know that if they don't have that data that they give to you, you can't help them solve the problems that they're trying to bring to you. Exactly. And you know, that's why I really like the shape up methodology too. And especially betting, because at the end of the day, our whole company has decided this is what we're working on next cycle. Cause we all betted on these things. And so if somebody comes back to me and says, we can't work on that, I have to do this instead. It's super easy for me to say, okay, get everybody else on the phone. We all have to agree that this is more important than what we've previously agreed on. And then it's like, well, I don't know, maybe it's not that important. And then we get into the real stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's what I love about product strategy, right? Cause strategy inherently tells you that there's trade-offs. You have to say yes to something and no to a lot of other things. Right. And, and that sounds like what you're getting at there. Yep, exactly. It's, it's keeping everybody happy, but also having everybody wait at the same time. <laughs> yep, yep. It's, it's all a matter of prioritization and trade-offs for sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, Courtney, I, I appreciate you jumping on and sharing your thoughts. Uh, love the conversation and, and love hearing some of your experiences and the things that, that you've learned over time. So, um, so thanks for jumping on and sharing. Yeah, thanks for having me today, John. This was a super pleasure and I'm happy to be here. That was Courtney Arnott, Senior Product Manager at Casted. Thanks for joining us today. If you are just tuning in for season four, thank you and welcome. Our audience is growing all the time, which has me super excited uh, and just tells me that there's a lot of value that uh, product managers and aspiring PMs around the world are getting from this, which makes me super, super grateful and keeps me going. Um, I really enjoy having these conversations, but it's really fun to see how sharing these conversations out with uh, the global product community is really having an impact. So thanks for joining. Make sure you subscribe. <clears throat> if you're watching on YouTube, go hit the podcast, go hit the podcast on whatever podcast that you listen to. If you're on the podcast, go to the Path to Product YouTube channel. There's unique content on each platform, so you don't want to miss either one. And uh, thanks for joining me on another episode of Lesson in Product Management, and we'll see you next week.